0: your field is our office. I'm field agronomist Ashley Storby and with me is field agronomist Jay Zilski. Jay, how are you and where are you?
1: Well, I am fantastic, Ashley, and most Minnesotans have enough sense not to travel to uh, Arizona in the middle of July, uh, specifically Phoenix, Arizona, when it's uh, the last few days it's been over 110 degrees. Oh my so I'm anxious to get back uh, home where it's a little bit uh, cooler. And uh, it's easy to understand why there's not a lot of corn down here, other than the fact, obviously, that uh, it's hard to grow corn in the desert unless you got irrigation. <laughs> and, and I haven't had a chance to check any of it out here, but these warm nights, I would think make it pretty darn hard for raising yeah. a good crop of corn. Mm-hmm. But, you know, actually, I think, you know, as I've been out of the office here, so it's been about uh, a long weekend here that I've been down here is it's been surprising the number of of texts and emails and calls I've had from from Minnesota about how fast things are moving along. Ashley, maybe you know, kind of you know, tell me what you're seeing out in the field, and it kind of sets the context for our discussion here this morning as we oh, move yeah. into talking about fungicides.
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, I have I've intercepted some some questions on fungicide already, and with the context being in many cases, customers mentioning hey, I heard that that there's tar spot being found somewhere in Minnesota. Does this change my fungicide plan? Um, What's my best plan of attack for tar spot in particular? So that'll be a a good one for us to think about and talk about today. Um, As I have looked at corn in my area this week, many of our our planting dates that like represent the bulk of our planting date are uh, let's say like May 7th to start with. Our 98-day products up to, you know, some of our earlier silking 104-day products are about two leaves from tassel, from my observation. So, you know, this time of year it usually takes us about two days to push a leaf. So we could see quite a bit of tassels here in the next week. Um, and we know for our fungicide applications, that's then getting into the window for which it would be appropriate to make a, a, a corn fungicide application and beans. I haven't seen anything R three yet. A lot of R two, some of our later maturities or or like planting dates towards the end of the window still hanging out at R one. Um, but I'm excited for you to to come back, Jay, because I know you know just a few days being gone this time of year things things change really quickly, and I, I think you'll en- you'll enjoy uh, getting the the context as you return.
1: Absolutely, Ashley. I'm kind of excited to get back to uh, to Minnesota. I actually. Uh, I'm going to be heading over the Rochester area tomorrow, and uh, I've got some appointments at Mayo, but I think I'm going to sneak away and uh, dig up a few corn roots from some fields have been some long-term corn. I ha- heard all hex breaking loose with regard to uh, corn rootworm. You know, I leave the territory for a few days, and, <laughs> and all hell breaks loose, so uh, I better get back there in a hurry. As you got like, to I get back from happening so. before
0: the wheels fall off. Yes. Well, we will, we will hit more on that, too, but today our focus is fungicide And we have with us today, Brian Buck with Winfield and Brian, before we get into the the meat of our conversation, could you please tell us what your role is at Winfield and know that, you know, if you're listening and you're familiar with that name, yes, Brian was a field agronomist with us most recently in our territory in central Minnesota and has moved on to work with Winfield. But Brian, tell us about your, your new job.
2: Yeah, so my new role, I'm a, an account manager is my title. Um, so a lot of what I do is on the chemical procurement side. So working with the retailers to uh, um, get chemical into their warehouses, basically. So uh, anymore, pretty much anything and everything, right? So there's a lot of products out there, whether it's controlling weeds, micronutrients, or, or whatever it may be. So. Uh, been a lot of fun. I'm, I'm learning quick, right? Anytime you get thrown into it. And then with the current environment in the world, obviously logistics are uh, a little bit tougher when you're procuring chemicals and you start to realize how many ingredients go into some of these products we're using. So uh, been a lot of fun, but yeah, still learning and um, mostly on the chemical side, I guess is what I've been doing. So
0: Awesome. It's so fun to get to, to work with Brian again in this capacity and Brian, you know, when you and Josh had your agronomy show on Periscope and listeners, if you you had tuned into that now, this is kind of in, in honor of of that show on Periscope, Brian and Josh would kick off the show with a GDU update. So we thought it was only fitting that as you join us today that you do the honors and give a GDU update current as of uh, July 12th. So what do you have, Brian?
2: No, that sounds good. So 2022, we're sitting at about 11.58 in Faribault, Minnesota. That's from uh, May 7th. Uh, if you look back to 2021, May 7th, same time frame, it's actually about a wash. It's within one GDU. You know, one difference last year, we were talking a little before the show, was we did plant a touch earlier last year. So maybe that forced a leaf or two out uh, more than we are currently. But uh, worth noting that it's we really caught up quick after a late planting season, which we like to see. And compared to the 30-year average, we're actually kicking quite a bit ahead. So uh, really in a good spot, you think of the stages of the corn and the way it looks. I mean, I think we all feel pretty good after um, the way this thing started. So uh, I'm pretty excited about that personally.
0: Very cool. Me too. I I love the look of the crop across my area, largely, you know, by and large. Um, And really, when we thought, excuse me, of how the growing season started, it felt as though we were behind initially, but we picked up days of, of above average heat that set us at, ahead of of that 30 year average so kind of kind of a different from what it felt like to start um, mm-hmm. yeah so I guess we we can move on now to the the meat of our conversation
1: absolutely Ashley and Brian you know before before we do that I just of course I've always got to get the last word in here but I think <laughs> one, one of the things I wanted to add is I, I think it's interesting that as planting was delayed this spring one of the things that we reminded farmers is, once we get into May very far, that it takes fewer GDU's to get the crop towards different uh, growth stages and a maturity, and, and and really true to form. I think it's interesting where I'm getting these texts and emails over the past week about folks starting to see some tassels. You know, compared to a lot of years, that's not all that different. So it is, it is kind of surprising. So you um, know, I just wanted to add that little bit there, and you know, I think. You know, although it's not an official proclamation, um, I always like to think of July as being fungicide month, you know, and, you know, it's interesting where, uh, heck, uh, 4th of July weekend, I was already beginning to get uh, some text messages and and some questions about fungicide applications, um, specifically in soybeans, and to me, that seemed a little early if we're targeting that R3 um, growth stage, And so, uh, you know, Brian, you know, let's start with beans first. Share with us your thoughts, your observations as far as optimum timing of those
2: fungicide applications for soybeans. Yeah, so I think, you know, if you look at the data historically, um, R3 is the the target, right? And I I think it's kind of interesting, I was talking to somebody last week and you know, as beans progress, sometimes you'll go out and look at them, you'll stage them, they'll be R3, and then we get a shot of rain and they start growing again, and they could sneak back to R2 just for a little bit, just because of the the way you're looking at the pods, right? But the uh, I think the target's R3. If you got to make a pass for something else a little bit earlier, you know, you might give up a bushel going, moving that up a little bit, and you start to look at it and you're like, well, it's going to cost me 10 bucks to go across with a sprayer, plus I'm going to run over another bushel if I you know, make two passes a week and a half apart. So I think there's times we move that up or move move it a touch back just to pair it with something else where we're like, you know, even though we know we're giving up maybe just a little bit of yield moving early, but it's actually going to net us out the same or a touch better just because other things. So R3 is the target but and I think any given scenario or depending on the operation or the logistics side, I have seen that move and it makes sense, right? So that just depends on the operation, I think, that day. What are, what are your guys' thoughts?
1: Well, that, that's what I've tended to see over the years and, and I like the context that you put there, Brian, as far as okay, you know, if you got some other operations, it's, it's the practical application, you know. Um, I can sit here and talk smart and say, yeah, you know, R3 is when you should time that application and yet then uh, the logistics and the realities of, of some other field operations. So I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think the other thing is, you know, shame on me for for not clarifying as we lead into it. We always throw around these growth stages left and right, like everybody knows what that means. And 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 you know, I even got to refresh my memory. You know, maybe it's with age I'm forgetting things from one year to the next. But you know, a <laughs> reminder for everybody that that R3 growth stage on soybeans is when you have a pod on one of the upper four nodes of the plant that's 3 16th inch in length. And so uh, again, 3 16th inch in length as far as that R3 growth stage um you know, Ashley any, any additional thoughts that you have re- with regard to, you know, maybe itching inching a little bit earlier.
0: Well, um first thought quick on the on the R3 growth stage a quick trick: if you don't have like your tape measure with you and you're you're out in a field, if you happen to have a pin or a pencil, that three sixteenths inch um, uh, length is about the size of a pin, um, the width of a pin. Well, and now Jay, we're on Zoom. Jay's got a big pin, like one of those oversized kind of fat pins. That would he be too. That would be big. So your normal standard size writing utensil is about three sixteenths of an inch uh, in length. So. That would be a, a quick thing to pull and look at that developing pod on one of the four uppermost nodes uh, with a fully developed leaf. So then quick clarification on that, you know, if your leaf isn't unfurled or those leaves are still touching, you wouldn't count that that node. Uh, you would move down to the, the next node to begin your count on that uh, upper foremost nodes. Um, I appreciate your guys's comments on the flexibility of that application. Um, in general, on an you know an average situation, we stay in R three. Once we get in R three, we stay there for about nine days, and so you think that the flexibility of logistics of hitting that R three stage is, is you know within that nine days. But then, if you need to, like Brian said, go a little earlier, go maybe even a little later if you have to. But um, you know, give yourself that grace if you need to make a a, a different application. You know, if it's an insecticide application, um, to to give yourself that grace, knowing that that you're still capturing a, an appropriate window.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and before we move on and talk about corn, I guess, you know, last final points as far as soybeans, and you know, based on what I've seen over the years um and, and what farmers are telling me we're seeing over the years um and then factor in the commodity prices, to me, it's pretty much a given that you're going to expect to see a return on those fungicide applications in, in soybeans. So, you know, way back when, I thought I was a really sharp agronomist and I could predict when we would, wouldn't would see a response to fungicide um, ahead of time. And what I found out is I wasn't worth a darn at predicting when for sure we would. And so I, I think you look at a period of years information, you know, that's how I look at it. Now, when we go to corn, I think it, it's maybe not quite as clear. And, and Brian, I'd sure appreciate if you share with our listeners. Uh, And Ashley and I, what factors you think farmers should consider in making that fungicide application in corn? Because now is the prime time. We're getting lots of questions. How would
2: you guide them, Brian? Yeah, you know, it's such a complex question. I, You know, not to go back to soybeans. I think we're treating the crop more in soybeans where when we get into corn, there's more hybrid interaction, right? So soybeans super consistent yields historically, great return on investment. I, I think we just see it work. Um, when we get into corn, I think there's more factors, right? Because uh, it's a GDU-driven crop, not so much just based on you know um, the environment that we're in or you know the the way beans uh, mature. So it's like for me, are, do we have a good-looking crop? You know, we're protecting yield. So if we don't have a really good-looking crop out there, you have a field that's really tough and just isn't going to yield. Does it pay to put fungicide on? You know, that, that's always the question we have every year. Driving across the area, our crop looks really good. Um, I feel really good about it. I'm sure there's some some tough fields out there for whatever reason, but um, I feel good that way. Um, besides that, you know, historically we've always said corn on corn, we want to target first, right? And that's because of disease development, you know, especially some of those, those like a northern corn leaf blight would overwinter and move up the canopy. I think tar spot could change that just a touch. I think we're still gonna target that corn on corn anchor first, but, I think with tar spot coming in, that could change the dynamic a little bit, just on probably still go corn on corn first, but we can't downplay corn on beans just because of that environment, right? So that could change a little. Otherwise, you know, by hybrid, I think, you know, companies have hybrid ratings out or or they have those out for reasons too. And um, that's always worth looking at Is kind of the, the last piece of that puzzle, I think, on determining... Um, whether or not they should go, and I'd like to hear your guys' thoughts too on that. Because for me, that's probably what it is. You know, going back is does it have yield potential? Because what are we protecting for yield? Um, then you go into just does it have the right environment for disease pressure, and uh, you know that that last piece there on just what are the hybrids and how are they going to interact? I think is a big piece. So,
1: well, I think that's interesting, Brian, because I, I think back years ago when. First started talking about fungicide applications in corn. And, and I liked your point about we've got a good looking crop that looks like it has some good potential. And, and the reason I, I, I mentioned years ago, it seemed when fungicides first came out, folks were were maybe not seeing the kind of response they hoped to see, but they were targeting crappy looking fields. They were, they were trying to salvage a crappy looking <laughs> field. Yeah. And and I think what we're finding over time. Is that no? It, it's actually those better-looking fields where, like you said, you're 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 preserving yield potential um, of of the crop. So um, I think that's an important distinction that that you made there, and I appreciate that, Brian.
0: One thing that that I would I would add that is is an interesting dynamic for this year, and I'm sure we're going to get to talk about it um, a little bit later, but. The, the financial piece of making a, a fungicide application this year and achieving return on that investment works better with the, the state of our commodity prices right now. Um, if we look, here's just one example. So if, if our fungicide application costs in total between product and application $26 and our corn is, that bushel of corn is worth $6, then we need four, a little over four bushels of um, you know additional yield, or you know protecting for a little over four bushels of yield from that fungicide application to break even on that application. Yeah. Not speaking of you know the the potential late season benefits of retaining good um, intactness standability from a harvest management perspective. Um. So so that's this year very much a nod to to achieving return on that fungicide investment for corn.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah you factor it in. Some years, you know, if it took eight nine bushel to get your money back, now we're at four. Um, that's a huge difference, right? And at the same time, you know, we're we're hoping to maybe get ten to fifteen bushel with that application. So you think of ROI? Yeah, we want to break even, but we also just want to drive revenue, mm-hmm. um, especially when commodity prices are this big. So if we can grab an extra fifteen bushel, I always think too. Like you got a lot of acres. If you can add yield stability especially when you have these commodity prices, that helps a lot, right? That really bushels up in the bin, not just a a hot spot in the field, but can we level out good yields? You know, I think that's always a good piece too.
0: Absolutely. So the other hot topic that we wanted to hit on is timing, Brian. So in your opinion for corn, what growth stage should folks target their fungicide application?
2: Yeah. So this is a, this is a fun one for me. So, um, kind of getting over on this side of the fence, you know, you get to see a lot of data and you get to see a lot of different stuff, right? That drives drives yield. So I'd say historically, my message was always let's hit VT to R2 only, let's get in that window, let's use an adjuvant, you know, get a new one of the newer fungicides out and, and let it rip. So some interesting things that I've learned coming over was I think I drove people there um, on the surfactant side. If anybody ever called and said, hey, I'm gonna, they want me to spray fungicide. The tassels aren't quite out they want to leave the surfactant in, what should I do? And I'd always say, well, pull it out. You know, we don't want arrested ear. Um, if you need to go early. And uh, so there are products that are safe. So like we have one called Master Lock that won't cause arrested ear, and we'll still get the deposition and coverage. And I think, I just didn't know that, right? So I pushed people away and I always pushed them to tassel. Well, logistically, we can't always get it all done in a week. So by moving early, a week or two before tassel we're not really losing much uh just to give you a perspective even at v10 it's about two and a half bushel less so that gap's not as big if we can get the keep the adjuvants in it's just there's difference in adjuvants right so not all surfactants can be sprayed pre tassel because some will cause a rest or so it gets a little messy i think in there and it's hard to know what products are safe what products aren't and you know, we all just hear surfactant, and we lump them all together in one group. So depending on what it is, that's a big deal. So with all that said, VT-DAR2, great time to spray fungicide, right? Great time to control disease. Logistically, if you got a ground rig and you want to go a little early, there are adjuvants we can use to maintain the game, right? And uh, even if we get really early and we give up two bushel, I'm okay giving up two bushel to get nine, if it's the difference in spraying or not spraying. You know what I mean, like, or it's two and a half bushel. I, I should give the exact numbers, but so for me, it that's wishy washy, right? VT dar R two is perfect. It's okay to go early. Keep the adjuvant in if, like it's Master Lock, but make sure it's an approved adjuvant for that application. Otherwise, you could could be at risk. And I want to get get it on, especially with tar spot maybe common. We saw it everywhere last fall east of thirty five. Um, it it scares me and I I don't want to get so cute that we miss an application altogether and, and, uh, miss on fighting for a bushel or two, we lose 10 or more. Right. That's always my fear. So what are your guys' thoughts on that? I'd like to hear it both ways because for me, the, the adjuvant piece was the one that surprised me the most, I guess, just, I just didn't know. So.
0: Oh, absolutely. I, I didn't know either. I, I so appreciate, that information. I one of my first service calls as a, as a new agronomist um, with my my previous employer was looking at a field in at Harvest that we later found out had the arrested ear development from a, a surfactant added to the fungicide application pre-tassel. And that was really impactful for me and gave me very much that that spook factor of, you know, definitely pull it out until we're fully full tassel. So, But knowing that improves the, the efficacy of that application, it is disappointing to have to give up the surfactant. So knowing that that there are products that are safe pre-tassel is, is super exciting. Um, yeah, that, that is my key takeaway. Jay, do you have any other thoughts on, on that?
1: Well, first thing, Ashley, I, I learned a new term. That's the spook factor. <laughs> I, I like the spook factor with regard to something possibly going wrong. Uh, so I, I appreciate that, Ashley. You know, so you know, it's interesting because over the years, you know, I think ultimately I've kind of come to this, this conclusion is everybody can probably find some data somewhere, particularly based on maybe when disease pressure uh, mm-hmm. develops to make an argument for a super early, or early application or a late application, you know, and and, and and so I, I think, as, as you said, Brian, you know that that sweet spot is VT to R2. Uh, and, and yet my experience over the years working with farmers has been, you know, telling people, yeah, yep, yeah, let's let's hold off, let's shoot for for VT to R2. And I talked to the guy a couple of weeks later, and it's like, you know what? Um, guy was in the area to make an application and he was gone already, and we never got the fungicide on. Okay? So then <laughs> yeah. is it better to get it on a hair early? Or not get it on at all, and and so that's ultimately the conclusion I came to, um, as well. And appreciate your clarification with regard to with regard to those surfactants. Now, yeah. um, you know the the other question, and and I, I get it every year to a certain degree. Um, ground rig versus aerial application for these fungicide applications, Brian. What do you what's best?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, kind of like the timing talk, I think they're both great if they get us a fungicide application on at a relatively good time. Um, you know, ground rigs, I like the amount of coverage they can get. I, I like, you have a little more tank mix flexibility with them if you want to get different things out. I think the challenge we have with a ground rig is if we get really tall corn or you, you farm in the goat hills or, or wherever, you, you just can run into challenges you don't have with an airplane. Um, or a helicopter. So I think both work great personally. I think having the tank mix right is important still for both. Um, I th- After we've maybe learned some of that data, where even if we go a little before tassel, we're, we're not giving up much. I think uh, going out there with that ground rig and having a good, you know, having your tank mix right and being able to tank mix some other products and get the coverage is not a bad thing. You know, if you want to get across your crop, I and part of what I like about a ground rig is anytime you go across it on the ground, you just get to see it at a different cross stage and you can start to see and learn stuff too that maybe you didn't expect to learn because you're out there. So uh, that little side factor I like, but um, helicopters, airplane, I think if we got the mix right and we're getting good application, they work great. I It, it goes back to the timing thing. I, is there a bushel or two either way? I don't really know for sure. Um, I'm just happy it's getting on and we're not losing the 10. <laughs> right, or uh, 20 or 30 if it's a bad tar spot or northern year, so.
1: Absolutely, Brian, and, and you know, just to maybe go back just a second, we were talking about that the, the timing of application um, a minute ago, and you know, additional thought I had too is, you know, not trying to get too cute with that timing, the, uh, especially this year when, with our spread and planting dates, um you know it might be a hard a difficult thing for an individual grower to uh target yep this is the day we're going to make an application because you know we just see a range of growth stages this year um and you know one of the comments that one of uh farmers i was talking to the other day commented on is is that you know not only does he have that going on but within some fields he sees a lot of variation as far as growth stage where some are shooting tassels and some are a little ways away. And, you know, ultimately our conversation went to the point is that, okay, if you have a particular field that's that staggered in its growth stages, okay, that's maybe not necessarily one of your most highly productive fields. Anyhow, let's target those fields where they're more uniformly coming into that VT growth stage and are going to have more uh, optimum potential and a greater likelihood of seeing a response. I think that made a lot of sense to me.
2: Yeah, that that just triggered me too, Jay. I, I think about like uh silking on hybrids, right? Like we're I think you mentioned it earlier, Ashley, just with different hybrids, maybe silk really early and then some silk square. So you think about trying to hit tassel time at the exact same time for all your fields. Just they could be similar maturities and be you know, shooting tassels a week apart. So it's not perfect. And I think that's where if you got the right mix and you target, you probably want to target starting pre-tassel, right? Just to be realistic, to get it all done, um, to hit them all in the right window. So, or at least when your first field tassels or whatever, and then just go. So that's a good call. I, that was a good, good point, Jay. You
0: know, this is, this is a, a point of interest from, um, Uh, Something that happened on our own farm here in the last week or so, Uh, there was a wind event last Monday, Uh, it would have been the fourth, and it was a little stronger near me than it was throughout my territory so luckily there wasn't a whole lot of down corn as we went into Minnesota um, further north, but we had some down corn and unfortunately. Um, the corn that went down was some that hadn't been wide dropped yet. It, it was intended to have a wide Y-drop application. So we had uh, sourced an opportunity to top dress urea with a helicopter if we needed to, if it wasn't going to come up um, enough to run the ground rig through. And then uh, my husband tells me, well, the helicopter's gone. It's headed to Wisconsin to spray tar spot. So no helicopter. Luckily, it, the corn came up enough where we were able to get a ground rig through it fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you know, just knowing that the, that tar spot conversation is is so um, prevalent amongst amongst our farmers in our area, and we know that they're they're seeing in in Wisconsin um, tar spot in southeast Minnesota, they've found it, but it hasn't been accelerating. Um, Brian, any thoughts on on tar spot um, tar spot um, management? Um, anything that you've learned in, in your your current role uh, about tar spot?
2: Yeah, you know, I think the the disease itself, we, you know, last fall, um, we walked a lot of fields and I, you both saw a lot of it, I think, throughout the area. For southeast Minnesota in this geography, it seemed like east of 35, I could find it almost in every field at harvest. You know, it didn't affect yield or anything, but the presence of the disease is what scared me, just being that widespread. And then when you moved west to 35, it was more intermittent that I'd run into it than, than east. So the thing that scares me the most about it, and I I think there was that data where, um, you know, like northern corn leaf blight takes 10 plus hours on a wet leaf to infect, and tar spot was closer to like seven. Um, I live in the valley now, and it, there's like 14 hours of dew out here every, every night. Um, but when you get out of the valley, there's probably only nine or 10, right? When you, West of 35 is a lot flatter ground. East was always more the rolling hills and that's where we saw more northern. What scares me is moving west, if it doesn't need as long on the leaf to infect, um, are we gonna see more tar spot in areas where we didn't see as much northern, right? Even though they're kind of similar. So that's just something I, I'm gonna track and keep an eye on. That's a hypothesis, not a, there's nothing there right? We got to see, but that's what scares me right now. Um, the other thing that scares me is some of the fields that did set in early, how quick it took them down. Um, it just didn't take long. And uh, in a high commodity market, that uh, it's not something we want to have, right? We just don't want to lose the bushels. So I'm nervous about it, but it's kind of like, you feel like you're crying wolf until it's actually a, a real bushel dropper, right? Mm-hmm. But those are things that scare me about the disease, I guess, in, in itself. I, any thoughts either Are you have on that? I mean, you guys have looked at it a lot and watched a lot of fields too.
1: <laughs> well, well, Brian, what scares me the most is actually if I was a farmer, I would not want Ashley to come out to my farm because it seems like she always finds tar spot. She is our, <laughs> she's our tar spot bloodhound. She always seems to be able to find some. Uh, so, uh, but all, all kidding aside, uh, you know, I think as, as I look at it, so there's a couple of things. And, you know, earlier, um, this spring, uh, we had Scott Roundtree from Southwest Wisconsin on, on, on the podcast here to talk specifically the, the entire show was talking about tar spot. Um, and, you know, I think the thing that's interesting and, and I'm curious to see how it will develop this year. Um, because, you know, we look at conditions at favorite, you mentioned about that, that leaf wetness. So it's like six, seven hours of prolonged leaf wetness, you know there in in Trout Stream Valley, where you're at, Brian, and we'll get to that later. Anyhow, that's where the uh, dew stays on the leaves a little bit longer. And I've seen that also on the edges of the field. So it's that prolonged leaf wetness. But, you know, the interesting thing this year is that, you know, also it's those cooler temperatures. It's, you know, 60 to 70 degree temp, 60 to 70 degree temperatures, where we've been pretty warm this year. But we also know that um, we don't always, uh, the diseases don't always fo- follow the rule book. Uh, and so we, we want to be vigilant and watching, uh, where the disease, uh, I, I think the thing that, you know, I remember from our conversation with Scott Roundtree was that, um, as I, as I look at it, you know, back then I said, okay, it's kind of like, uh, when you see the whites of their eyes, you shoot, you know, in other words, when you first see the tar spot, you, you need to shoot. And yet the thing that was interesting that, that Scott mentioned to us is that even though a lot of times they may see it shortly after the 4th of July, tar spots showing up shortly after the 4th of July, that typically most Julys, it's hot enough that they don't see a lot of rapid disease progression till you get to the latter part of the month. And he said in a lot of situations that, you know, that if you're targeting tar spot, that, that VTR2 application timing isn't, it isn't really too bad of a, a, a target to shoot for. And his concern was, you know, if you, you spray when you see the whites of their eyes, that you may end up being in a situation where you might need to make a second application of fungicide um, later in the season. So I thought that was, uh, that was interesting.
0: No, and I I would add, Jay, I've gotten a few questions from some of our our customers that, you know, we hear tar spots in the area and, you know, I haven't seen any and I appreciate the designation of bloodhound. I find that to be very flattering. So thank you, Jay. I haven't seen any in any corn that I've walked in our area. Um, We heard that it can be found in the far Southeast, Um, but I I'm guilty of this too. If I find something in the field, I'm excited about it. I I want to share that uh, because, you know, we're, we're proud of the work that we're doing, trying to identify any yield limiting factors or, you know, trying to pay attention to what's in the field. And we're quick to share that information, you know, whether it's Twitter or another platform. And I I would just cautious, you know, all of us, and I, I feel bad because I participate in that as well, but just because there's a lesion out in the country doesn't mean that, we have tar spot everywhere. It doesn't mean we have the environment for it to flare up. Um, so, so don't you know? It's a very manageable disease, and and I just I I say that because I I have I have felt that anxiety in some of the the conversations that I've had with with my my farmers in our area. That oh gosh, you know, I heard it's there. What do I do? And and you know, it's it's not it's not something we want to fall asleep on the wheel on, but it's it's not an immediate emergency either. Yeah.
2: Definitely worth keeping our eyes peeled for as this year develops. I think this will be the the true year we kind of find out what's up with it. So,
1: well, Brian, uh, we're kind of getting to the point. We're going to need to bring the show to close here fairly soon. But w- one final question before the final final question, and that's you well, know, let, let's talk about budgeting uh, dollars for those fungicide. Uh, app applications. You know, I talked earlier that you know, with soybeans, it's like okay, yeah, just just go for it. You you just spray fungicide. Don't ask questions, just do it. Corn, it gets to be maybe a little more complicated. You know, how would you advise farmers to budget the fungicide
2: applications? Yeah, I think the the interesting thing with corn is, like like you said, beans. I think people know what it, they know what they're going to get right. And They're pretty much doing it across the board. I think. Um, for a lot of people that are trying to push yield. Now, corn, I think it's it's interesting. I think a lot of the decisions are actually based on just risk tolerance um, and the difference between, you know, some growers really want to just push yield. And I think they've been very successful doing that. So they'll pretty much spray everything, right? Especially ones with more corn on corn in the rotation. And then I think there's a group that maybe have tried it in the past and they didn't see the results and they just haven't really went back to it. So, then there's the middle group, I think, where they're trying to figure out where and what to spray. Um, So, for me, I I think still within that, if I'm going to budget corn on corn, I really like it. It it helps with a lot of agronomic things. There's a lot more disease pressure there. Um, And I think that's where I start. And then, you know, obviously working with whoever's supplying hybrids to look at the hybrids themselves and say, you know, which ones are at the highest risk for, say, Northern or some of these other things or well, there's a lot of data, right, on which hybrids are responding the most um, in, in that uh, sphere. And then after that, even those corn on bean fields, especially with tart spot coming, I think looking and saying, all right, this field has the potential to yield 250 bushel. You know, I'm going to make this application that should get me, you know, hopefully another 10, 15, but is it protecting me from potentially a 40 bushel loss if we have a problem, right? So it's how do you factor in all these these pieces, I think, to uh, make it make sense for your operation? And it's because it's a big upfront cost to go spray it. You don't know for sure what your return is going to be, obviously, because we got to spray it before we see pest pressure or the diseases themselves. So my thought is, at a minimum, I'd like to spray some acres because depending on what happens, you at least don't want to get stuck where you're You've got a bad tar spot here and you get hammered, right? That, that's a hard pill to swallow. So, and if you're gonna target something, I like to target corn on corn first, but it's okay to be aggressive and just go for it too, especially in these commodity prices. So that's my thoughts on it. I'm probably more aggressive with it, I always have been because I think it's such a good tool. And as we grow more bushels, you know, that raises our approved yields and our APHs and all this too, so over time we can ensure more, right? So there's, there's other factors that play into that on the business side too. So.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely, Brian. Well, no, I appreciate you, you sharing those thoughts. And before we go to Ashley, to kind of summarize uh, the key takeaways, and I'm anxious to hear that, you know, Brian, the, the question I'm actually most interested in, in early asking you is, you know, now that you've moved out of town and you're out in the country, you know, when are you going to invite me to go trout fishing at your places? I'm kind of thinking we could combine tar spot scouting and trout fishing into the same in, into the same thing, is what I'm thinking, Brian.
2: Yeah, they they are. There is corn right next to the stream, so and that isn't a, a high dew, you know, foggy area every night. So I, I do think they would pair up extremely well. Um, I'm pretty sure I texted you and said anytime. I, I think is, so you're obviously still not reading text messages, but, uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. the, uh, you know, <laughs> any, any time, any time. The, uh, yeah, I even caught one, so it must be easy to catch if I caught one, um, but that, that, that that's my big takeaway on trout <laughs> and,
1: and I think, I think it'd be a great place too, because I'm always concerned that there's going to be too heavy a trout fishing, uh, fishing pressure on a stretch of stream. And maybe I'm not going to have as much success, but it sounds like there's not a whole lot of fishing pressure on your stretch. So, so that's a good thing. So, uh, enough about fishing talk, uh, this is actually an agronomy podcast. So, uh, Ashley, why don't you wrap things up with kind of a summary of the key points before we close out the show?
0: Yeah. What a task. Um, I was, I was so interested in our conversation. I didn't take great notes. So this is going to be on off of the top of my head or, you know, from my, my recollection of our conversation. Um, fungicide application in soybeans. R3, that's a pod 3 sixteenths of an inch in length. Uh, If you have a normal size pen, you can use that to measure. Um, And that's our optimal window for fungicide application in soybeans. That stage lasts about nine days, so we have a good window to get that fungicide on. Like Brian mentioned, a great takeaway. If we need to go a little bit earlier because we're making a different application, you know, if we, if we have aphids or spider mites, which right now, low levels in my observations, I haven't seen any spider mites, very, very minimal aphids, um, it's okay to get a little bit earlier. Um, that way we can pair up both those applications and optimize our return on investment in that application. Um, pretty cut and dry in soybeans. Moving on to corn, um, both of you cited that VT to R2 application being favorable for optimizing ROI. Um, Brian brought us some really nice information on if we would like to go a little earlier. We know we like to have a surfactant in with the fungicide to improve the efficacy of that application, but we take that out when we're early, when we're pre-tassel to avoid the arrested ear syndrome. We can leave that in with some Adjuvants and and Brian, you particularly or some surfactants you particularly mentioned in master Masterlock being appropriate in that pre-tassel application um, and safe safe in that pre application. So I really appreciated that. Um, I won't rehash the the specifics on on making that fungicide selection in corn. Um, we we went through multiple times of of what scenarios work best. Um, the key takeaway for me that I, I would comment on corn on corn much more of a no-brainer, particularly if it's a a uh, high yield potential farm where you look like you're going to have a good crop on that farm um, and then looking at other scenarios on on rotated ground um, with the consideration of you know tar spot is is something that we can see accelerate on on first year corn as well just from the movement of that disease. Um, so those would be my my two key points that I would I would hit on the the selection um, and then acknowledging that the, the economics favor fungicide application this year with our commodity prices, uh, making it quicker to trigger a return on investment. Um, those, those are my key takeaways And that I, I need to figure out how to get in this fishing club would be my last one. Uh, but Jay, if, is there anything else that you would like to add
1: you know, Ashley, I think you you sum things up very, very well. And I think the only thing that I would add, actually, as well, is if people are looking for an additional resource, uh, and maybe we can put it in the show notes, uh, Brian Buck, when he was our our field agronomist in Southeast Minnesota, along with Josh Hoffner, they did do a YouTube video talking about fungicide application timing, and I think that's maybe uh, three years ago um mm-hmm. but whether it be then or now I I think pretty much the principles uh hold true uh now as as well so I would encourage people to look for that uh YouTube video and and again Ashley maybe you can put that in the show notes so uh, people could uh hit a link to get to that uh YouTube video and uh you know um Brian isn't any better looking now than he was back then I'll tell you that much but uh anyhow you okay. can enjoy watching that uh YouTube video. <laughs>
0: Oh, wonderful. Brian, any comments you would like to make before we close out today's show?
2: Yeah, I, you know, I think the number one is on that master lock piece. Um, you know, the deposition is important too and coverage. So, you know, it, it doesn't cause the rest of the year. That's why we've always liked having those adjuvants with fungicide. It's about coverage and getting it down in the canopy and protecting as much as we can. So um, pretty excited about that. You know, if people are looking for other stuff to try, you know, I think the the cool thing is, since we kind of work with all companies, I get exposed to every product under the sun. Um, you know, the, the my top three, if they're looking for something else to throw in with fungicide would be Maxin Boron, Maxin K, or there's a new product in the biostimulant market called Yield On. Um, kind of a cool one to, to look at, I've just something different, right? So uh, on the fungicide piece, we've always done that, but if somebody's looking for something to try to push yield, those are my, my three, I guess I would target, so. But, thank you for having me on. It's been fun to catch up and chat about all this. So I didn't say that at the start, but I wanted to highlight <laughs> it. So it's been well, fun. And even though Jay harassed me about trout fishing. It's so <laughs> good. So.
0: Well, we have enjoyed it as well, Brian. Thank you so much. This has been episode 15 of Your Field is Our Office. Listeners, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is at Ashley Storby, and you can find Jay on Twitter as well. Seed Zeke. Brian, if, if listeners have any questions or want to connect with you after hearing the podcast, where could they find you?
2: Uh, I'm on Twitter at Farmer Buck One. Um, so I do still follow that. Otherwise, uh, yeah, if it's somebody in Southeast Minnesota, reach out to, uh, um, yourselves or whoever, and we can get in contact. So.
0: Perfect. Folks, you can join Jay and me on our next episode as we discuss field observations with our counterpart to the South, Pioneer agronomist Nate Levon. Thank you for listening. This has been episode 15 of Your Field is Our Office. Until next time, be safe and stay healthy.